Alright legends, welcome along to Hellmouth Hotline, I'm your host Rodney Stewart and we're getting into Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers from uh, 1995, had a budget of $5 million and uh, made $15.1 million in the United States. Uh, I haven't got the worldwide grosses here but this is one that I was looking forward to getting into because it uh, finishes off the what they call the foreign trilogy and after the the setup and the prior film with the man in black turning up and you didn't get to see that much of him then at the very end you see him pretty much breaking out Michael Myers um, disappearing into the night more or less at the end of the movie I was excited to see what the reveal of this man in black was going to be and uh, excited to get sat down and watch this movie because this is one of the ones that I definitely didn't see before and gotta say, could have done without it <laughs> you know, it's just a it's, a it's a good enough film but uh, you can see why they repeatedly kept rebooting Halloween movies, it was just like there's oh, goodness knows money reboots in the run of the, the movies. And uh, this one here was just a wee bit of a letdown for me. Uh, also, the last for Donald Pleasant, so that probably had a big part to do with it. Of course, if you don't have him on there chasing Michael Myers, it's not going to be the same. So, um, with that, 15.1 million. I'd made money back, but it wasn't a huge success. Um, let's just take a little look at the reception that it got. Um, gosh, it hasn't even got a reception online for it here. Let me just check through the earlier notes. Uh, okay. Um, right, as I say... 1985, grossing 15.1 million domestic box office and a budget of 5 million. It was panned by critics on release. Fair enough. Uh, Donald Pleasance died on February 2nd, 1995, nearly eight months before the film was released. Uh, the film was dedicated to his memory. Did see that at the end. After the film's home media release, the original work print of the film, which features 45 minutes of alternative footage in a different ending, was Discovered by fans of the series, this version dubbed the producer's cut. Uh, might have to actually watch that. Developed into a cult following. Now I did see that. I rented this off Prime Video. And I did see uh, the producer's cut up there as well. Whenever I was doing the search for it. So if I can get it, I might check that out. And perhaps next Friday we'll, we'll have a little chat about that version of it. But a, or depending, you know how big a difference it is. A, let me see. Uh, bootleg copies sold on eBay and online petitions targeting an official release of it in two thousand and fourteen. The producer's cut was officially officially released on Blu-ray, so I might be fit to get it on there. I'll check it out, and if not, and you come back here next Friday and we do Halloween H two O, you know it couldn't be got. So the plot of this movie. Uh, October 31st, 1989 Myers and his niece Jimmy Lloyd 
are abducted from the Haddonsfield police station by the man in black. Uh, that's what happened at the end of the last movie. Um, six years later, on October 30th, 1995, Jamie, now 15 years old, gives birth to a child. And the man in black, revealed to be the leader of a druid-like cult, takes the child away. Uh, later on, one of the nurses and midwives that helped Jimmy give birth helps her escape with the child. But Michael kills the nurse. Uh, Jimmy and her child flee in a stolen pickup truck. Uh, that guy gets murdered as well by Michael. So he's in pursuit of her. He turns up straight away on this movie. Meanwhile, Loomis, he's retired. He's moved to a cabin just outside of Haddonfield. And well, he's living like a hermit lifestyle and he's listening to the radio and there's, there's this DJ constantly going on about Halloween and how it has been banned in Haddonsfield for the last number of years because of the the history of Michael Myers and there's all these callers calling in and there. All the crazy weirdos and there's a girl, she wants to find Michael Myers and date him and whatnot. But everybody, as far as the public's concerned, he's dead at this point, but the city itself or the town of Haddonsfield has banned Halloween. Uh, Loomis is visited by a friend, Dr. Terence Wynne, who's the chief administrator of Smith's Grove Sanat- Sanatorium. I al- always nearly mispronounce that word, sanitarium. That's uh, what I normally try and say, but a sanitarium. Uh, and that might have been in the same word twice. <laughs> This is the place where Michael had been incarcerated as a boy, uh, looked after by Loomis. Uh, uh, one asks Loomis to return to Smith's Groove, and they overhear Jamie's plea for help in the local radio station. When she was getting hunted down by Michael, uh, she heard this phone number been handed out, and she calls in and trying to find help as desperately as she can. Uh, only to be ignored by the DJ, Barry Sums. Michael eventually catches up with Jamie. Uh, she's in the truck that she stole. And she crashes it into an old barn. And he, I was going to say kills Jamie, but finds her child not in the truck. Now, she is stabbed, and she does end up pretty much in life support. She doesn't get killed at this point in the film, but she doesn't make it to the end. Uh, back in Haddonsfield, Tommy Doyle, uh, one of the kids that Laurie Strode babysat in 1978. Uh, he's living in a boarding house run by this old woman, Mrs. Blankenship. Uh, Tommy's a reclusive individual who has he's become obsessed with finding the truth behind Michael's motives. Uh, the dysfunctional family living in the Myers house across the street are relatives of the Strode family. Cara Strode, her six-year-old son, Danny, teenage brother, Tim, mother, uh, Deborah, abusive father, John. Danny has been tormented by the man in black who is grooming him to follow Michael's footsteps. You've got this. As we've seen in prior movies, there was like this connection between the people and they kept hearing voices, and that comes into play in this movie where Michael as a child heard voices. Now this young kid from the family, Danny, he's hearing the same voices. 
the kill for Michael, more or less, leading him to almost use a knife on his grandfather during a heated argument between him and his daughter. Uh, yeah, so she's been slapped by her father at this point, and the grandsons almost takes a knife to him after hearing these voices. Tommy finds Jamie's baby uh, at the, the bus station. He goes, um, tries to work it. He heard the call as well, so he goes to look for where it was coming from. And he gets to the bus station, finds the, the phone booth she was in. There's blood there, and he falls the blood down into the, the toilets, and uh, the baby has been hidden down there. Uh, there he runs into, he takes the the kid to the hospital, this newborn child to the hospital, and he runs into Loomis there and tells him about the Strode family living in the Myers house. Then he takes the baby back to his house, where he names it Stephen. Uh, Loomis, he actually goes to the Strode house, of course, you know, Michael's not dead, he's going to come for everybody, we're all going to die, you know, the same old story. Um, yeah, so Deborah, the mother, starts to pack up the belongings to leave, Michael shows up, murders her, uh, Tommy runs into Danny, the kid on the street who's coming home from school and takes him back to the boarding house where he lives at, and, uh, well not the boarding house, sorry, he went back to the Michael Myers house, the mother Kara returns, calling for her mother, can't find her, so she comes across Tommy and Danny in Danny's bedroom, Tommy takes him then to the boarding house, where he reveals to Carr that he believes Michael has been inflicted with thorn, an ancient druid curse that causes him to kill his bloodline on Halloween night and believes that Jimmy's baby will be the next, will be Michael's final sacrifice. So later that night, Tommy, he meets Loomis at a Halloween party at the college campus that Carr, Tim and a couple of her friends attend with uh, that DJ that was on the radio at the beginning of the movie, Barry Sums. He's a special guest there. He turns up wearing like a similar get-up to the man in black. So for a second, you're thinking, oh, is this him? But you just, you know, you can tell it's a lower-budget version. But it turns out to be the DJ. Um, Mrs. Blankenkamp reveals to Carr that she was babysitting Michael Myers on the night he killed his sister way back in the 70s. And that Danny hears the same voice telling him to kill as Michael did. And that's indicating the curse will pass on to Danny if Stephen is killed. Uh, shortly, Stephen being the, the child. It's, you know, there's a lot going on in this movie and I think a few things kind of counteract each other. And... Uh, you know, sometimes whenever they shoot these things and they get to the editing rooms, you know, some stuff might just fall to the cutting room floor and it just doesn't make as much sense as it should do. I think there's a few pieces on here that are a little disjointed. Not much, not very much disjointed, but just enough to, you know, kind of lose track of what's going to happen between Car's son Danny and this newborn baby. So it's, you know, it's... One or the other at one point in this movie. Um, shortly after Michael turns up, he kills John. This is her father. Tim Beth and Barry Sims, they all go out 
Kilcarn's going up. Uh, Cara follows Danny back to the Strode house after he is summoned by the man in black, where she sees Michael, fights him off. Uh, she gets hold of Danny, escapes back to the boarding house, where Tommy and Loomis are waiting for them. Uh, to their shock, the cult arrives at the house, and turns out this old woman that runs the boarding house, Mrs. Blankenkamp, is in on it with this cult, and the man in black is revealed to be Dr. One, which was, you know, watching the movie, I wasn't expecting it to be him, but whenever the reveal did happen, I was kind of like, hmm, that makes sense, and uh, definitely not the, what I was hoping for, and the reveal of who this guy is, you know, I thought, uh, it could have been a bit darker, but you know, and saying that there, somebody that Loomis has trusted for years, like nearly, probably his whole career, uh, turns out to be one of the guys that's behind the whole thing. Um, yeah. You... Right. Uh, where are we at? I have lost my place in my notes, as usual. Uh, yeah, the cult, after Dr. One is exposed as the guy behind this cult, uh, the cult drugs Loomis and Tommy, takes Cara, Danny and the little baby Stephen to Smith's Grove, and Cara is locked in a maximum security ward while the boys are kept in a, an operating room. Um, Tommy and Loomis awaken and go to Smith's Grove. Uh, they, you know, they can't work out whether why they weren't murdered, more or less, and Loomis is like, you know, he wants this to happen, he wants to, us to witness whatever's going to happen. Uh, so they head off. Uh, Smith's Grove staff have been working with the foreign cult to study the power of foreign and learn how to control it. And it's implied that Stephen is the successful result of... Uh, like a fer fertilization experiments to clone Michael's pure evil, more or less. So it turns out this is actually his kid, and it was his niece that mothered the kid by force. So it's it's messed up in a major way. So they're trying to take pass the evil on to someone else other than Michael. One wants Loomis to join. And the conspiracy, as he was the first to see the evil inside Michael. Of course, Loomis, uh, he refuses, and he, he's knocked out by a doctor. And meanwhile, Tommy frees Cara. Uh, Michael pursues him through the sanitarium. Uh, they find one and his team who are about to perform a medical procedure on Danny and Stephen. Uh, Michael suddenly appears and turns against one... Uh, the doctor, the doctors killed them all. So Michael, this is a lot of the notes I've picked up along the line here, and I, I tend to when I'm reviewing these things, just to keep me on track with the podcast. I'll grab a few notes online just to keep me on track. So just as I'm going through some of this here stuff, I'm actually thinking as this the parts of the producer's cut getting into these notes because there's there's parts that I'm reading through these notes for the first time as going through this for this episode because I'm that late in the evening and getting started I'm thinking okay this is probably the producer's cut so we're not going to do it next week 
um, yeah, uh, yeah, this is definitely the uh, the producer's cut here. It's got a completely different end than the one I've seen. But uh, Tommy, at one point, he uses these runes that he's picked up to counteract the effects of Thorn. He sets them down on the floor whenever Michael steps onto it and kind of breaks the evil for a bit. And when Loomis comes back and uh, Michael has changed clothes with one, and he walks off and one grabs hold of Loomis's hand and says, it's down to you now. And you see the tattoo or the symbol of the foreign appearing on Loomis's wrist. And he starts screaming. You see Michael walking off into the, the night, more or less, well, down a corridor and leaving. So that's the end of the one that i seen. But at the end of this one here, it says, Tommy and Kara rescue the kids. Of course, Michael chases them into a laboratory where Kara notices fetuses from one's field experiments. Uh, Tommy injects Michael with corrosives, uh, beats him unconscious with a lead pipe. Uh, Tommy and Kara and the children leave Smith Groove while Loomis stays behind to take care of business. Inside, Michael's mask lies alone on the lab floor and Loomis screams in the background, uh, leaving the fates unknown. So there's two different endings to this movie it seems to me going through these few notes that I've brought up here that it's the exact movie you know the the theatrical theatrical cut is the exact same movie up until about the last act and then there's a few subtle differences and a different ending to it completely so uh, either way at the end of this movie it was left open whether the uh, theatrical cut or the producer's cut that Michael once again has got the up, not the upper hand, but he has survived an hour movie and he's he's gone on. Um, poor Loomis again is screaming at the end of the movie and freaking out. But of course, we're never going to find out where that storyline would have went since we lost. Donald Pleasance just after the filming of this movie, and you can see the age on him. He's just uh, even his voice isn't as strong as it once was. Now you could say that was down to the acting of him getting older as a character, but you know, it is what it is. It's just a the man was old at that time, and clearly, in my eyes, it clearly wasn't at full health whenever they were filming this movie, but he did a fantastic, fantastic job on it as Loomis. He did on all the movies, even though he was kind of playing the exact same, you may as well say just a carbon copy of the, the first movie right the way through to the six. He was just like, you know, Michael's evil, we're all going to die, blah, blah, blah. We need help, we have to stop him, he has to be killed. But he can't be killed, he's going to be there forever. Um, great, I enjoyed this one, but as I say, you know, after the the lead up from the prior two movies that started out the the foreign trilogy, uh, starting off with the return of Michael Myers, Halloween four, and the revenge of Michael Myers in Halloween five, now to this one, the curse of Michael Myers, so that it delves into what uh, is keeping him going or his motivations, and it's through this cult with the, the foreign and you know uh, ancient 
magic and rituals and all that sort of stuff. Uh, stars aligning and whatnot to the point where that you can actually trace the foreign symbol and the stars and whatnot. So it's it's an interesting idea to bring in to this character, but yeah, uh, as I say, after the lead up from the Force Two, and then seeing what they actually did with the character and who the Man in Black actually ended up being. Uh, I could do without it. So, uh, yeah. Let me see. The next movie we'll be doing in this series now, of course, seeing as we kind of covered the producer's cut here, is Halloween H2O, 20 years later. That was released in uh, 98, which wasn't a kick in the ass after this one, 95 to 98. Uh, it doesn't contain any references to Jamie Lloyd's storyline, of the prior three films, although they were featured in the original script and comic book tie-ins published by Chaos Comics, instead serving as a direct sequel to Halloween 2. So it's, uh, I just forgot about those three films and brought Laurie Strode back, you know, as, uh, as we, um, after Halloween 2, we of course we had Season of the Witch, and then after that there we get into the 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 foreign trilogy which was set after her character actually died so she's brought back as Laurie Strode which to you completely forgetting about the four films preceding this one so as I say they just they kept rebooting the absolute crap out of these movies and if memory serves after H two O they rebooted again let me just see I screenshotted a list of the movies, and, uh, yeah, okay, so, after that we had, after H2O, we've got Halloween Resurrection, then, we've got Halloween, which is clearly a reboot, uh, Halloween 2, reboot, and then, after that movie, we once again have a reboot, Halloween, then Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends, so, we're going to be doing all those before we move on, every Friday, from here on out, so I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying doing this podcast and checking out the Halloween movies. But as I've said a lot of times during it, the for me the Halloween movies was never a big pull for me. It was just never something that I've fancied watching something scary around Halloween or something. I would tend to go to Friday the 13th for Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, very... I can't even recall, actually, like, up to this point, sitting down by choice to watch one of these movies. Like, like, obviously, I've seen bits and pieces of them over the years. You know, we used to get together with a few beers on a Friday night, rent out a few movies, and, you know, you might get a comedy, you might get a horror, whatever it is, and then, you know, of course, Halloween would have popped up somewhere along the line, uh, especially back in the the late 90s, whenever we were doing that stuff. So uh, whenever a few of these films were coming out, we would have seen some of the later ones. But, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it well enough. But I was a little, in all honesty, Curse of Michael Myers here. It was a bit of a letdown for me. Uh, but it is what it is. Y- you know, you're... You don't go into these movies expecting it to be flipping Shakespeare or something out there. It's a slasher movie. Um, you know, it's just uh, it's just meant to be 
bubble gum for the brain. You know, scary bubble gum for the brain, but it is what it is. Right, that's going to do it for this podcast. I'll leave it there. And yeah, come back on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays for new episodes of the show. So uh, until then, if you want to get in contact, hellmouthhotlinegmail.com. Rate and review the show, share it along, do all that good social media stuff. I'll love you forever. And until the next episode, guys, whatever you're doing, stay safe and I'll talk to you all then. This has been a production of Coins Age Media. Thank you so much for listening. 